Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. Hey everybody, if you're visiting with us again, we're so glad you're here and uh, just excited to uh, welcome uh, Dr. Jim Reynolds here in just a moment. I just want to say um, Jim is a dear, dear friend for many, many years and we love each other and it's just a, uh, everybody needs somebody in our lives that's just an encourager and uh, Jim is that for me personally. I'm just, I'm thankful for this friendship and thankful that we get to see each other as much as we do. And I have learned so much from watching Jim. Uh, Lake Highlands Church served as a model for me in understanding what church could be, what worship could be, what the power of the Holy Spirit moving in the church could be, what lifting up Jesus like that could be. And so y'all please give a warm Antioch welcome to Jim Reynolds. Very good to be here. Uh, lots of people I know are here. It's kind of dangerous. In fact, uh, one of my uh, grandsons said, please don't blow it, Paul. So I thought uh, that the crowd that uh, Peter was preaching to in Acts 2, that's what we're going to talk about. It was hostile, kind of like this. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, it's good to laugh about that. No, it's it's great. There's so many wonderful people. I love Jamie, and today is kind of an amen to the blitz that he is. God is using him to announce the kingdom in this church, and this is just kind of an amen to that. Uh, the main message this morning: the crucified and risen Jesus is the true Lord of the world. And he will reign forever and ever. Amen. That is the good news. I can't make it bigger. That's big. There's no confession that big on the planet. The backstory is not so cool. After the magnificent creation of Genesis 1 and 2, things really got strange. That's why the Old Testament's so long. People were screwing up all the time. The divine image bearers decided to rebel, to usurp the throne. Idolatry, chaos, and death began to reign. Israel, a people through whom the Lord intended to redeem the world, they descend into chaos. The Levitical priesthood by the time of Jesus has disappeared. Every king ends in exile or death. The messianic, prophetic, and priestly charlatans are running around everywhere. The whole place is descending into oblivion. Long silence. So when the true Son of Man, Son of God, the suffering servant, our high priest and Messiah, comes... He comes toward a sacred resurrection and ascension as the high priest and king and lord of us all. He's moving forward to change. And he did. He got it right. Everybody else failed. 
He changed forever the destiny of us all. He has come for nothing less. Somebody says, you need to get on the right side of history. I said, Jesus is where history's going. Sometimes Christians say that who don't even understand they're talking about some ethical issue in our culture. Well, let's get on the right side of history. Jesus is that. And so after his death, burial, resurrection, 50 days later, after, after Passover, after the Friday of Passover week, the Jesus, that Jesus died in, on a cross in Jerusalem, on a Sunday morning, tongues of fire start happening publicly. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to help us just in, be strong interior people to know God. That's part of it. The Holy Spirit comes to help us go public with Jesus. And so this happens. It comes on those who've been waiting 10 days. God-fearing Jews are there for Pentecost from all over. They're hearing in their own tongue. Babel's misunderstanding and arrogance is replaced by Pentecost's understanding and human faith and human humility. People, though, begin to say, how can this be? Look at these guys. They're Galileans. Galileans can't read and write. They can't talk Hebrew, much less all the languages of the world. Then a guy stands up who had denied Jesus three times. And he's a Galilean. He's a very disqualified guy. He's got no resume. He speaks out. He makes more sense than he's ever made. Because he's seen the resurrected Jesus for days. He's been recalled three times. Feed my sheep. He's been quiet with the Lord for 10 days. And he has received the Holy Spirit. So he stands up with the 11 and he raises his voice. Think about how quiet he was when he denied Jesus three times. And he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, Peter, this strongly suggests that Peter knows something about being drunk. His buddies have been drunk, never at nine. He's probably been drunk, but never at nine. What's happening here is he is a credible human witness. He's not trying to appear religious. It's the opposite. He is a redeemed child of God, but God did the redemption. Peter didn't. Self-righteousness has no place. God. Peter actually is a coward in recovery. Galatians tells you it's not over. This is a good day for him, though. He witnesses. He proclaims the good news, and he points away from himself, and he's loving and sharing with them instead of judging them. 
I don't care how horrific we think people are. Quit judging them. It's not a part of what we do. The scripture's clear on that. The, his, his posture toward these people who had killed Jesus, many of them, is a sign that God is turning to them and coming close. You may sometimes wonder, why don't people hear us when we announce him to unbelievers? We, we are called to love them and they need a sense that God is turning to them and coming close. And they begin to give this guy a hearing. And he says, no, nah, it wasn't about drunkenness. It's about the prophet Joel. He's talking to a hostile crowd. So he's like a lawyer for Jesus. He represents Jesus and he announces his first witness is Joel. Chapter 2, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. I will show wonders and signs on earth. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a part of the good news. The Holy Spirit has come. We are in the end times. Everybody who calls on the Lord will be saved. In chapter 22, verse 22, he begins to say, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth is in Galilee. Jesus has no resume either. He doesn't come from, come from Jerusalem. He doesn't come from great theological parentage. He was a man and he was accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. The second witness is God. He took a man. Jesus was truly a human being. The first heresy denied that. The first heresy in the church wasn't a heresy that denied the divinity of Jesus. It denied the humanity of Jesus. He's saying he was a man. And he was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. In other words, the cross wasn't an accident. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. One thing I want to say that I forgot to tell you, this is the first good news announcement in the world. After the death of Christ, this is it. I heard the gospel was hear, believe, repent, confess. That's what it was for a while. Then after that, it was Jesus died for your sins so you can go to heaven when you die. It wasn't full. I'm trying to talk to you today about the, the fullness of this proclamation on that day in, at Pentecost. He is proclaiming something really big. It is historical. It really happened. Jesus is a man. He died his body is gone. No one's ever produced it in 2,000 years. It is also a theological statement in that he says it was attested to by God. He died by the deliberate plan of God and that God raised him. I mean, he's already got a whole lot out there. Verse 25, David said this about him. That's his third witness. The, the, the king, the man they most respected. He's quoting him. Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. 
Now, Peter says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David is dead. You've had a pilgrimage out there to see that tomb. It's what he's suggesting. He was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. So who was David talking about in Psalm 16? He's talking about the guy that's causing all the ruckus at Pentecost. Jesus. He is the Messiah. So he's working the crowd, you might say. They're hostile. They killed him. His tomb is with us to this day, but he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead. And I'm with Jesus all the way because God did not abandon him in death. I can't deal with that otherwise. Hopelessness just rips me apart. Nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. And then he brings up his fourth witness. We saw it, he says. We are all witnesses of it. The apostolic witness. These guys that were sent with authority, they, they touched him. They smelled his breath. Peter saw and touched the resurrected Jesus. Verse 33. He quotes David again. He said, exalted to the right hand of God. That's a Jewish phrase for he has the place of supreme honor and power. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see in here. Yeah, shout amen for that because Jesus is doing that. You know, I don't like it when a preacher says, I want to tell you about the finished work of Christ. Because his work is not finished. His death is finished. Yes, that's what they're talking about. As if they'd all finished there. He's pouring out the Holy Spirit all over the world. What do you think is going on in China and in Africa, the third world, all over the place? The Holy Spirit is being poured out. Who? Who's the guy behind this? The Roman Caesars never could find the leader of the church. Neither can the Chinese leaders right now find the leader of those house churches. It's the exalted Jesus. He is risen. He is Lord. And he works mightily and changes nations, not through superstars, through disciples. Disciples on the planet are dangerous kingdom bringers. You get a bunch of them going and neighborhoods get changed. This is what he's talking about. So this is a contemporary witness. They've seen this power. They begin to put back together what they heard about Jesus, what David is saying, what, what Peter is saying. All these witnesses and he's drawing. Think of this crowd. We talked about the response to this when I grew up, but we never talked about how hostile this was. This was worse than preaching to my grandkids. This is hostile. I'm just joking. But but this was really hostile. These people had killed this guy. So he says this in verse 34, For David did not ascend to heaven. So what was he talking about? And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
Who could that be talking about? Jesus. Because the enemies we've not been able to get under our feet were Satan, sin, death. So Jesus is not only resurrected, he's exalted. You might say he's inaugurated. He has taken office. He has received and he has poured out the Holy Spirit. Then the bottom line of the sermon. This is a good news sermon. And sometimes for sinners, good news sounds bad. This is, this is the moment they could kill him or go the other direction. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel be assured of this. Of this. God made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter got that out of his mouth. He didn't waffle. He didn't twist it. He thundered it from all we know. See, this is a declaration of lordship, and it is about a regime change. Not just a presidential election. We're a constitutional democracy. I'm talking about a regime change. Think about this for a minute. In May of 1940, the Nazis started World War II really for most of the Europeans by invading France from the Arden Forest. Nobody thought you could do that with tanks. Within two weeks, they had taken Western Europe. The tanks are in the streets. If you're in Paris and you're a citizen there of Paris, the tanks are in the streets. They're shooting the guns. They're blowing off the cannon saying, we're here. What are you going to do about it? You're going to go underground. You're going to go with us. This is a regime change. What we're talking about here is a regime change. Only it's not about tanks. It's not about hate. It's about a bunch of wild, crazy disciples in the streets announcing Jesus Christ is Lord. And he will rule forever and ever. And he loves you. And all these praising and hosanna and crazy stuff going on. Come out here in the streets. The regime is on. The king is ruling. That's what's going on. And it's not a theological argument between Calvinists and Arminians and Church of Christers and Pentecostals. It's an announcement of Jesus. He's bigger than your theological understandings. Yeah. He will, he, he's pretty well wiped out all of the things I thought I knew 30 years ago. I have more faith now. And I have, I have more belief now and fewer beliefs. Because they focus here. The four world changers that he's announced. Well, let me, before I go there, I want to say this. Right now, we hear too many voices. You're hearing my voice, but you're going to hear a lot of marketers who are really good. And we're really skitzy. We're going one way, and then we're going that way, and we're going this, and we feel good, and I'm going to follow my feelings, and I'm going to do this. It's really skitzy. Just normal American life is really skitzy. You know that. Jesus is Lord. Let's ask God to help us hear one voice. Peter at Pentecost has announced four world changers. Number one, the victory has been won by Jesus in his life, death, resurrection over Satan, sin, and death. Number two, the age of the Spirit is on and it is never leaving. I can't understand how you could be a dispensationalist 
The only dispensation I want to live in is the age of the Holy Spirit. Number three is Israel. Jesus is Israel's Messiah. And number four, he is the Lord, the good guy. I want to tell you, the only way you can really believe for sure that God is good is by confessing Jesus. There's a lot of evidence that bad stuff is happening to people that it may, may not be fair, but when God gave, when God dies in our place, there's no doubt he's good. Jesus is Lord, the true king of the world. What Jesus brings is this initiating, this recovery of the kingdom to this world he's always loved. But let me, let me, in this, you know, we, we can, everybody here today agrees with me pretty much. And you probably don't feel like saying it out loud that you don't. But what I want to tell you this is, think about this. Peter is declaring this in Jerusalem. He didn't take a boat to Athens and talk about this happening in Jerusalem where nobody can verify or not verify. He is announcing this 49 days later right there in that town. It is verifiable or non-verifiable. Archaeology is digging up stuff that's mentioned in the Gospels all of the time. This is not a New Age kind of thing where we just feel this today that could be true. This is true. It is what truth is what has been declared and tested publicly. Truth is what has stood the attack of its enemies. Truth is what has endured cross-examination. I, I, I'm a lawyer, I've been a lawyer, and I can tell you that you get in and you think what the truth, you think you know what the truth is, you get a couple of people testifying and you get the lawyers asking examination and cross-examination, finally there's the truth. Everybody's kind of surprised what it is. Jesus has been attacked for 2,000 years. He has been publicly announced and publicly attacked. Jesus Christ is the crucified and risen Lord of the world. In 2019, this is true. And it's true when you feel literally like hell itself. It's true when you don't want it to be true. And I don't want it to be true. But something else I want to tell you about this. Can you believe the graciousness of this moment? Can you believe that Jesus the Lord is giving the Holy Spirit to people who killed him. I, I just, I look at this, and he's creating new community out of those people. He creates new community out of us. We are formed not by our goodness, by the, proclam by the proclamation of Jesus, turning to God in desperate need, being baptized as a statement of my desperate need for God. Forgiveness, the Spirit, community happen. If Jesus died for me is the gospel, then the only problem you've got is a guilt complex. But we got deeper problems than guilt. If, if all we talk about is that what he, is Him dying for us, and that is important and it is at the heart of things, we know why He died, but we do not know why He lives. And we do not know why he rules. You're looking at somebody that didn't know that for a long time. The good news is that the, is that the crucified and risen Jesus is Lord. 
This means there is a fundamental need for him. A fundamental need. I need authority in my life. I thought Jim Reynolds was the authority. I don't even like that word. It's a nasty word. Most people don't like authority. I need it because I'm a usurper. I usurp God's place. I act like I'm God like that. I need the life of the Holy Spirit because I'm dead to God's otherwise. I don't really long for God. I've killed it with sin. I need the Holy Spirit to revive that. I need power because I don't have the power to do what I know is best. I don't even have, I don't even know what I know unless the Holy Spirit's in me. He gives us forgiveness because we are guilty and he gives us reconciliation because we are hostile toward each other and God, this is, that's just a part of what he does. It also here, I just want to talk about the implications of this and conclude this morning. Jesus ruling and reigning at the right hand of God means that Jesus is accessible to the entire creation. I got a friend that's just gone to Greece to preach to Muslim refugees on the islands there who are, Jesus is appearing to them. And they don't know who he is and they need people to come teach. He just resigned teaching down at this seminary in Austin where I teach from time to time. Why does he do that? Because he is the resurrected, ascended Lord of the world and he's no longer limited to the eastern end of the Mediterranean. He's moving all over the place. I'm amazed at how the early church, after all the apostles, I had the apostles put up on these pedestals and they're all dead by a hundred. And you'd think, well, they just close up shop and that little group would die. It did not die. There were 7,500 Christians in, in 100 AD. There were 6 million by 313. What is it? The Holy Spirit through the ascended Lord is giving, he's giving the Spirit to the two disciples and people are becoming disciples. You know, sold out folks for Jesus. After Mao Zedong left China, after, after he established communism as the religion and the politics of China in 1947, they kicked out all the Western missionaries. Everybody thought, well, Christianity will die in China. Right now, there's the most powerful move of the Holy Spirit's been going on for decades. A missionary over there spent a lot of time. I've told you probably this, but this excites me because what is, what is happening there? Jesus Christ, the ascended Lord, is giving the Holy Spirit to people in China by the millions in his name. Say amen to that. Thank you, Lord. He's doing this. It's totally unlikely. They got more disciples than they got Bibles. They're needing Bibles to even understand more and more and more. But this is about people who are discipling. God is, they're being discipled by the church and the Holy Spirit is changing China. There may be 100 to 200 million people who are believers there right now. Jesus is Lord means we do the politics of Jesus. Forgiveness and reconciliation. I'm talking about the politics of the Sermon on the Mount. In Acts chapter 4, just a couple of chapters later, somebody told Peter, Peter, you got to shut up. You're just causing too much problems. He said, no, I must obey the Kyrios, the Lord. There's only one Lord. He's got all the authority. Nobody else does. 
Nobody else has the authority. I must obey God rather than men. They put him in jail and the, and the church is praying and praying and praying. And before you know it, Peter's out of jail. It's not time for him to leave this planet. That's what happens when Jesus Christ is Lord of the world. If you saw Hacksaw Ridge, the movie, Desmond Doss, he's a Christian. <clears throat> he's drafted. He said, I can't fight. I can't pull the trigger. Can't kill anybody. This is toward the end of World War II. And he gets beat up. He's beaten up. He's in jail. Beaten up. It's really, it's a great movie. What happens is they realize, you know what? Doss is a patriot, but he's not a nationalist. He's not going to put the flag above Jesus, but he will serve in a non-combatant role. He does. And he gets the Congressional Medal of Honor for what he did at Okinawa when he saved 75 lives, some of which were Japanese. He lowered them off this cliff down to the, to the ocean. It is, it is amazing. That's what God is doing through courage in the street. But people who love their country as well. But they, they want to love the Lord and justice and then love their country as well. Celestine Musakura is a, is a guy who was discipling in, in Rwanda in the 1990s. In 1994, there was a genocide. You know about it. 800,000 to a million people were killed. Do you know they were killed mainly by Christians? We just need to put it out there because somebody's going to tell you that at school anyway. Hutus kill the Tutsis. It was because why? Because those tribes had been fighting forever. And Musakura told me and some others were sitting talking to him. He says, for the last 20 years, we've been about discipling and praying the Holy Spirit into disciples in Rwanda so that Jesus Christ defeats tribalism, which kills the world. Tribalism is still here in this country. I just say this, that one of the great works that Jamie has a heart for, and this church has a heart for, is for racial reconciliation in the churches. 85% of American churches are basically segregated right now. You know, that doesn't reflect the great peacemaker because I think churches should be reflecting what's going on in their communities. We throw the net out and we don't tell some of those people, you go there or you go there. No, they're all here. And that is a sign that the kingdom has come. It's a sign that Jesus Christ is Lord of the world because it's not going on anywhere else. Okay, the crucified and risen Jesus is the true Lord of the world, and he is where everything is going. What are we going to do about it? What are you doing about it? What am I doing about it? You're saying, well, you've done a lot. No. There's never a time, you know, don't look for cruise control in the church. That gear is not here. That feature is not here. Cruise control is not here. It's put the pedal to the metal all the time. You've never done today before. You need the Lord Jesus now. What are you going to do about him now? He is risen Lord of the church, and he is gracious toward you.
You say, well, you don't know what I've done. But Jesus does. Me knowing is not really important. Jesus does. And he is gracious and he is Lord. And he's wanting to change and grow up the church so that whatever happens, Jesus Christ and the fire of the Holy Spirit is spreading all over the world. Would y'all stand? I th- I've learned, listening to Jamie, we just have abrupt endings. And, and there's not any way to go. But I think right now, you know what I think we ought to do as they're coming up here? I think we need to give a standing ovation to Jesus. Just give him a clap. A loud one. Loud one. Give him a loud one. A standing go. You know, everybody dies here. Presidents die. Rock stars die. Jesus is alive. He rules and he reigns. So we want to have some response time. Y'all are standing. The We want the prayer, the prayer ministry folks, please, to come forward. And if you just have any kind of need for prayer or ministry, you know, you may say, well, I've done really well. Okay, what about the future? He's got something for you. Are you ready? I mentioned this before. I'll mention it again. John Newton did not write the, the, the Amazing Grace when he was converted and became a Christian. He wrote it 28 years later when he came under conviction about being a slave trader. And Newton never quit growing. Because the issue was, what are you doing about the fact that Jesus Christ the crucified and risen one is the Lord of the world. And that's why he would change Wilberforce. Because he went around weeping for what he had done, but praising Jesus all the time. If you need help in any way, would you just come while, the, while we sing and while the musicians play? God bless you.